Welcome back to Absurdity. I am here with Tony. And by here with Tony, I mean this time we're in two separate states. Tony, I miss yes. you. Aw. I miss you too. It's it's always better when we're in the same room. Always it's always better when we're together. Is that what you're saying? Oh my god. You know what's funny about that <laughs> is uh that's actually like one of my favorite songs by my favorite artist of all time. Um oh? I read a study. Uh, the other day on Reddit, because of, of course, where uh, the music you listen to from the ages of 18 to 21 is the music that will define the rest of your life. And I was like, shut up. That's not even. Uh, wait, when did I go to Hawaii? 19 to 20. Dang it. Like, I know, right? And I liked them a lot before that, but I'm like a lot of the musical style that that I kind of drift more towards is very much that kind of yep. more island happy music type of stuff. So, yeah. Yep, I understand. No, I, I think of what I was listening to back then, and um, A, I don't listen to that music anymore, um, because around that time was a lot of traumatic stuff that I was going through, and um, yeah. like relationship-wise. Yeah. yeah. And so all that music is associated with that time instead of like me, like so it's not defining for me right, anymore. Right, right, right. That's the... That's that's like the, the it's like the scene from um, the The Wedding Singer, yeah, he writes this, this song. I was listening to The Cure a lot at the time, so it's going to be a little dark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I would say Never that my music, skit. mine. Uh, yeah, I would argue that most of my musical tastes are probably, or like the music that would define me would probably be from twenty-one to twenty-five, more like, so than I eighteen to twenty. Could so see that. I could so see that. I re- I remember that time. Oh, so so many years ago. Yep. Yay. And in some ways, it's still not years ago. Yay, these long. <laughs> Yay, in these some ways, it, long, it never many, ends. Many, um, many times. Well, anyway, so that was our memory of the day. There you go. There's well, your fact nugget or whatever. <laughs> um, so I am excited for this conversation because I feel like uh, it's, you know, it's Black History Month. Yep. And this entire podcast was started on kind of giving a platform and, and amplifying um, these issues in a way that is productive and helpful. Um, so what better way to do both of those things than for two white guys to talk about racism? Um, and so that's what we're going to do today. <laughs> so for our, for our international listeners uh, in the United States, is it just the United States? I think it's just the United States. I, think it's, I don't think it's international, but um, February is Black History Month. And so it's where, uh, it's a month where um, we celebrate uh, black history. What's surprising? Um, no, Shocker. like we, we celebrate uh, what black culture is, what it has done in the past, what it's going to do in the future. Um, before this month is out, I'm absolutely going to be watching Black Panther again. It love the concept of Afro Afrofuturism, love the movie. Um, but it's just, it's just one of those things where it's a fairly new concept but it's something that has gotten a lot of I don't want to say airtime but like it's become more popular in the last few years I feel like the last five to ten years it's become way more but like I don't remember this too much growing up um yeah like I remember, like I remember talking about not that, MLK Jr. Yeah, and that's not it that like that's much, it yeah I didn't get that much hype and then yeah right about five ten years ago it really started to to pick up speed which is just awesome Um, And I love that. And we're going to talk about why. Well, and I think it it is worth the preface of saying like, yes, that joke of, of saying two white guys are talking about racism in black history month. um, It is a joke. It is in jest, obviously, but it's also kind of, it's poking fun at the fact that both of us are for all intents and purposes, white. I'm Latinx. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. uh Uh-huh. Sure. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Someone pulls, if you get pulled over by a cop, they go, Hey, you, what country are you from? uh, You know, it's hilarious. I actually got pulled over one mustache March. In Collegedale. Oh, and Mustache every, March. Every, that's, that's cheating. Every fiber in my body. I was in a car, I should say. I was in a car that got pulled over during Mustache March, and every fiber in my being wanted to just point at and be like, ah, 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 what's up, brother? Um, um, man, no, the. Um, I didn't, and luckily that of, was just a warning, but yeah, that was yeah. a big temptation. It's, 
So part of, and you can go back and listen to episodes, I think one and two, if you would like, though, they'll be really awkward because I was nowhere near as comfortable talking. You really weren't. Ever, no, I wasn't. I was still trying to navigate and figure it out. I kind of want to go back and re-record those, but it's anyway. Serious tone. That's the thing is like the, the heaviness of it to me, I think feels almost artificial. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, Yeah. no, I feel the same way, even though I was being genuine. Yeah, no, you um, were, you absolutely were. But it feels, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. Um, so the reason I make that joke or otherwise is because a big, a big purpose for why I started this is because I wanted to attempt to navigate conversations um, and model what navigating that could look like. So yeah. navigating conversations doesn't necessarily mean that I have the answer. It means that I'm going to try and figure out how to navigate that conversation, how to get through that conversation, how to have it, and hopefully model through uh, through humility, through active listening, through any of these other uh, any of these other things that I can that I can muster. Um, model what it looks like to actually what it can look like to go through those conversations. We don't always get it right. No. And that's kind of the point, right? Like someone's yeah. got to take the initiative. And I'm not saying like, it's only me that's doing it or you and me that's doing it, but someone's got to take the initiative and at least try, because if I can, at least if, if I can end up being the model of what not to do, great, that's fine too. But for this topic, it is important. It, it is important that, um, everyone be able to talk about this. Right. So if you're, if, if you write us off because we're white talking about racism, I think, that we're doing a disservice to the conversation because the, we're not trying to say we're the experts or authority in it. We're having, we're having a real discussion about this, but we have every right to talk about it. And that doesn't mean that we have, we're going to be racist in this episode. My, my hope is that we're not, but one of the things that I've learned most heavily about racism is it tends to um, be more subtle in most cases. Um, it doesn't tend to be the overt, I'm going to go out and wear a white hood later overt, you know, kind of racism, but most of it is very subtle and in tone or inflection or just in, you know, phrasing. So I do apologize in advance if either of us accidentally does that. And if that happens, please reach out to us and let us know. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I am almost, about, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not looking for opportunities, but I kind of am looking for opportunities to apologize. If that makes sense. Like I'm, I am, open and willing to apologizing if I've done something yeah. wrong. That's well, what I'm saying. A lot of times people don't do things out of fear that they might screw up and need to apologize. And it's like, man, you, progress doesn't often happen until you try and make mistakes. And, and a lot of success is just trial and error. It's just, it's just doing it over and over. And I think a big part of what we tried to do, and you definitely from the start um, and, and I like to think that I have tagged along with that as long as I've been here, um, is give voice to conversations that don't get a lot of light, uh, particularly in the Adventist church, but also in just Christianity, pop culture. Um, yep. and yeah, so I think, I think we need to talk about yeah. topics that are difficult and unknown and we don't have a good way of dealing with it. So we are going to, so as we talk about racism today within the confines of, or within the context of black history month, um, it is going to be mostly about black people though. A lot of these, a lot of these conversations are, how do I want to say it? A lot of these conversations are cross racial boundaries. So a lot of these aspects of racism are across racial boundaries, but today we're talking specifically within the realm of, black people because that is yeah. what this month yeah. is. So, um, and for other, for other conversations that we've had about race, um, and racism, you can check out episode 100, um, with Evan Willis, where we talk about, um, that's where we talk about regional conferences in the seventh day Adventist church. Uh, you can check out episode 107 where we talk about invited, but not welcome. And the, um, the incident, or the, the controversies that took place at Relevant Magazine, and then episode 112, where we talk about racism with Andre Henry, who's actually the former editor at, or yeah, former editor at Relevant, who published the article that, that kind of shed light on the controversy uh, at Relevant. So yeah, those are, those are three really good ones to kind of start with. 
if you want to, if you want to hear my own, just kind of experience with my own journey through it and understanding what it is back in 2016, then you can check out episode two. And I think that was, uh, an absurd confession, I think is what that episode's titled. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that was back in the day when I was hoping that I could somehow make every single episode be an absurd X, whatever X is. And then I realized that that's not going to work very quickly. I was out of ideas <laughs> by episode like six. Um, oh, well, it, I tried. It was a good so, thought. It was. Trial and error. Would you say it was an absurd thought? I hate you. Uh, you've become me now. <laughs> so let's. <laughs> I take that as a compliment. Yeah. Thank you. Um, notice I said thank you, even though you took it as a compliment. Yeah, exactly. So what are, I, I think this is a good place to start because yeah. in, 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 I love that you agreed with me and I haven't even said what this is. Um, right, right. Basically, we want to talk about the state of, of the racism conversation today. And so I think the best way to do that is to start with what are some misconceptions about the state of racism in specifically America? Uh, this is specifically the U.S., but it, I mean, the world as well, but specifically the U.S., are you are you asking me? Yeah, no, yeah, okay. I'm asking. All you. right, so I think one of the big ones um, that popped up again during the Obama administration, um, which is that oh, this was solved when X, in particular, and and especially focused around the civil rights movement uh, of the 1960s, like oh, it was solved when this happened, uh, you know, Brown versus Board of Education, and all this different stuff. Um, you know, we talked about Mal- Malcolm Gladwell a couple episodes back. He did a podcast, just literally um, two episodes talking about race and and the, the the struggle that racism has had. And one of the things he talks about is how Brown versus Board of Education actually made the situation worse. Yeah, um, it it ostensibly became it was a success in a way in that it brought desegregation to schools, but it actually made uh, the situation of racism and and the and the plight of black. Uh, personhood and and families harder um we didn't solve it when we had the first black astronaut we didn't solve it when we had the first black ex ceo coach to win a football uh, a super bowl uh president uh we did we don't solve it when x and i think that's the something that we need to get out of our heads the most for me Mm -hmm. um Everyone who was a part of the civil rights, well, not everyone, a lot of the people who were part of the civil rights movement acknowledged that it was a stepping stone. Um, and that's it. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a journey. It was a start on the journey. It got yeah. them voting rights, but then they still had to fight gerrymandering. They still had to fight redlining. They still had to fight um, white flight. They still had to fight... Um, uh, unfair housing situations. They still had, you know, yeah. there were, there were a ton of other fights to fight. This was a good starting place. Now we can begin to, you know, fight yeah. for, for equality, but it, it was a beginning. It was a, well, it was a big success, but it was a beginning. Yeah. And I mean, the, the bottom line is that laws don't change hearts and oh, everyone no. like speeding, right? All of us will not all of us. A lot of us will go the speed limit begrudgingly. Right. And even then it's usually only when a cop is present versus or if we know it's like a popular speed trap zone uh, versus most people just speed in general right they they just don't care about that law that law didn't convince many people hasn't convinced many people that speeding itself is bad it's the sudden stop that gets you actually um but that, yeah. that that's the point is the the law didn't change anything so even if we gave even if we yeah. pass civil rights uh that doesn't mean that every suddenly black right. people are yeah. are they are invited everywhere, but they're not welcomed everywhere. Mississippi wasn't just like, well, you know, they passed it. So, all right. So, yep. Well, I'm not a racist anymore. Well, go you ahead know, and come in. I won't make signs and protest against this. And Correct. You know, re-vitalize re, uh, uh, or re... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, bring back Jim Crow laws. Have a, you know, a, a reignition yeah. of that. So, yeah, it... it, it it didn't change hearts and minds. Well, I don't unfortunately. know. Unfortunately, I don't know if I brought this up on a recent episode or not. I feel like I did, but I may be thinking of something else. Um, there was there's a, there's statistics that show that um, the suicide rate in America, the suicide rate for 
for LGBTQ plus is and specifically transgender is specifically is is significantly higher than the national average, and but that rate goes down post transition. So right. after they've had surgical um, reass- gender reassignment surgery and everything, that right. that rate goes down. However, the rate is still above the national average. It's still higher. And the yeah. reason being, even though they are more comfortable in their own skin now, even though they are who they you know are wanting to be, that doesn't mean that suddenly they're accepted by everyone else. And so they still end up feeling, they feel a little bit more comfortable and they feel like they've made progress, but at the same time, everyone around them still rejects them. Yeah. And so that isolation, yeah. that rejection, it just, that's what I'm saying. Like something happening doesn't mean that everyone suddenly is just changed their hearts and changed their minds and everything's good yeah. now, unfortunately. And well, um, and and that leads into what I think is the next uh, big misconception or stereotype, which is that oh well, black people are exaggerating; they're playing the victim card. Um, no, they're not. Just because there was desegregation didn't mean that they got treated better. Um, I mean, you can go through again the same thing. Malcolm Gladwell talking about this, you know, go through the statistics for. Uh, what is considered gifted um, students and the scores and the testing and all of that. And you'll find that black students, it is significantly harder for them to, to, to be recognized yeah. as being gifted. Why? Because it's, it's sub love. It's not mo- mo- uh, malicious intent. Sometimes it might be, but for the most part, it's just because, they have to deal with this underlying systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And so what's interesting to me is that this is where we really put the blinders on as far as facts, right? As a society, Um, it can't be that bad. It can't be that bad. It really is. I mean, it really is. Um, Well, one thing, one thing that I learned is, or realized, I guess is, you know, every one of those, let's say, let, let's call them microaggressions. Um, every one of those microaggressions that someone shares about on Facebook or Twitter, for every single one of those, there's probably, 50, I would say, 50 to 100, and that's on the low end, microaggressions that happened to them that they didn't talk about. Like the one that they talk about on social media. The egregious one. Is, is either the most egregious one or, you know, it's no longer a microaggression. It's just direct racial aggression, whether it's intentional or not. Or it's the straw that broke the camel's back. And now, now they're expressing this one act of micro, this, this one microaggression in frustration and pain. um, And that's, what's behind this complaint. So dismissing that one microaggression is basically dismissing someone's entire experience leading up to their, the breaking point of them wanting to share it. And I get that there's a natural tendency to say, well, if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. Um, for some reason, when we become adults, we we get object permanence again, and it's just this kind of thing of like, well, I mean, it doesn't happen to me, so therefore it doesn't exist. And it's like, no, 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 it it still exists. It's still out there. It's still real. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't real, they wouldn't be saying anything. Um, no, that's, I. There, there's yeah. Anyway, no, I agree with that, and. <sighs> This this one frustrates me because it is just assuming so much. Like, not only are you dismissing their experience, you're telling, you're saying to them that they are not trustworthy. It's not as they, yeah, yeah. That that what they're saying, they cannot be trusted. They are lying. They are attention seekers. It's not just look. I, I I fully admit there are times that I have seen complaints of racism be kind of stretched. Like and and I well, think yeah, it would be perception is reality. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't racist at all, or it doesn't negate or suddenly mean that any other complaint of racism is wrong. Look, if eight out of every times you see a Chihuahua, it bites you on the leg. When those other two Chihuahuas come running up to you and you're like, "Oh my gosh, it was going to bite me," it kind of makes sense that you would think it would bite you because the other eight have bitten you. Yeah. Like it, 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 to me, but, I go, yeah. But with the one false complaint, like this is, well, this yeah. is like, and, and, this is like with, with rape and, reports, right? Or sexual assault oh, reports oh, that, oh. that 80% of yeah. them are true. Only yeah. 20%, two out of every 10 yeah. are actual, are fakes. And, and it's, 
it's it's terrible when that happens, but I I would actually like to see the stats of how many of those accusations end up being overturned for lack of evidence. Yep. That's number one. Number two is that's just of the ones that are reported. Reported, yeah. That's no, that, for that's sure. not talking about the ones so, that yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's I mean, it's just one of those things where you know, someone's experience is it's incredibly personal. And yeah, some people you, you, there's two sides to every story. Um, but to just say that and, and again, to generalize and say, well, black people, I mean, it's not that bad. That's just an that that's just ostriching to a degree that is, is incredible. You know, well, it's, it's showing, just putting it's showing a sand. degree of ignorance because the idea yeah. is like, you don't get to define a, what racism is, but B um, like, let's say, Oh, well, black people aren't being lynched anymore. So, you know, racism isn't like what? No, well, I mean, and yes, I have they heard, are. I, so, yeah, but yeah, I have but also yeah. heard, I've actually heard someone say that though, is what I'm saying. Like, that's not, I didn't right, just right. make no, no, that no. up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we had an incident the other day, you know, here where I'm at and it's like, well, I don't see it. You know, it's, it's not that it's not real anymore. It's like, no, it, it totally is. And even if it isn't, I feel like we could still say, I'm sorry for a while. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. expect somebody who's been hit their entire life to the day after they move to a place where nobody hits people to not flinch when someone raises their hand. It's yeah. going to take a while for healing, you know, to settle in. So, you know, yeah. anyway, the, the, the next, you know, one that, that again, just gets me, but this one again, specifically that I have heard is, oh, well now we have a black president. And to me, I'm like, that got negated the moment we elected the next president. But what does the that have to do with anything? he even got elected as the, yeah. or, like as the, the Republican nominee. Yeah. I, what does that even have to do with anything? that we had one black president. Um, okay. I, I don't understand. People, what's even funnier is all people did was write off his presidency because of the color of his skin and his origins. You know, they, the, which not even were right origins that people it, hated it's a him whole, for. It's a whole thing. But to me, <laughs> okay. So we had in 2000, I want to say, I want to say eight. I don't think it was. I think it was after, but I'm going to say 2008. The Chicago Bears in in football played uh, the Indianapolis Colts, um, and it was cre- incredible because uh, Lovey Smith and um, Tony Dungy were the first black coaches to ever go to a Super Bowl, and of course Tony Dungy won uh, with Peyton Manning and the Colts, and it was the first black coach to ever win a Super Bowl. And then the next year. Uh, and this is why I believe it was 2008. Uh, Mike Tomlin went with the with the Steelers, and it was just the Steelers versus the Cardinals. Um, and everyone said, "Oh, finally, it's over. We're done with this, you know, horrible stereotype." Except that it's not over. And now, ten plus years afterwards, we look back and say uh, there are less black coaches in the league now than there were then. Yeah. Um. This idea of moral licensing where because we did something nice, we can then turn around and uh, flip it and and say, oh, well, you know, we did something nice, pat ourselves on the back. Now we don't have to hire black coaches anymore. Yeah. We can go back to only hiring white coaches. And it's this weird, um, it's almost like a Jedi mind trick where we just kind of give ourselves amnesia. Um, and just say like, okay, well, the last you know, yeah, hundred years of football doesn't exist. It's like no, you it, yeah. it, just because something happened doesn't mean that's not going to go back. It can't a it can't go back, and b it's not going to continue to happen. And I think that's a real struggle that we're we're seeing, especially with the presidency, the first black X Y Z, um, the first black anything doesn't change anything. Uh, so having a black president, and by the way, and just not that it matters, he was half black. Not that it matters, but I, I it always cracks me up because in my head I go, "That's it's 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 just we elected a guy who's half white, you know, and he's black. Don't get me wrong, by culture and by association, he is black. Yeah, but but it's like we, we you know. It, it's it's just frustrating to me that 
we made it about his skin color after saying it wasn't about his skin color and, and we have not recovered. Things have not gotten better. So to say, well, you know, we elect a black president. It's just, if, a if anything, for things me. have gotten worse. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Not just I mean, not there, gotten better. Yeah. That's been deliberate. It hasn't been accidental, but yeah. Yes. Correct. Yeah. So the, the, the last one that I'll, that I'll speak to, you know, for this episode and remember this, this list is not exhaust exhaustive. No, of course not. But it is, um, these are just some, right? This is just for the purpose of conversation, education and, but this is not everything. Um, but the last one is that white privilege is a myth. It's fake. It's made up. And this one bothers me because a, it's a complete misunderstanding. It, it is rooted in my opinion in, in a completely, uh, false understanding of white privileges. And most of the times that people will, um, most of the times that people try and disprove white privilege, it's just confirmation bias. Yeah. Right? Like most of, like they say, oh, well, I had to pull myself up by the bootstraps and I had to do this and I come from a broken home and I still made it. Why can't you? Yeah. Or it, you know, I got, you know, I got pulled over and I got a ticket or I got, you know, my car yeah. unjustly searched or whatever. Right. They like, yeah. they yeah. say my experience, it ha- it didn't happen to me, but you know, this happened to me. So you know, we're equal. That's like the, what, what year was it that the congressman brought a snowball into, into, yeah, I don't remember. I know you're talking yeah, about, he brought he's, a, he, he's the head of uh, EPA, isn't he No, or something? Oh, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But yeah, a congressman brought a snowball into a, into a meeting of, I think it was a house meeting. Oh, it was the house. Yeah, it was the house. Was he the held up the house. snowball and said, how can global warming be real if I'm holding this snowball? That's li- like, it was a yeah, complete- confirmation bias. Yeah, and it's a complete misunderstanding of what, what climate change is. And in the same way, and that's why we've had to change to climate change because people clearly aren't getting global warming. Um, but the this is the idea. White privilege, when it's said it's a myth, yeah. A, it's- it's um it's a confirmation bias 99% of the time but i think the the thing that i would say that annoys me the most about the misconception about white privilege is that we are saying those who claim white privilege is a bad thing aren't saying it's bad that white people have it better than us what they're saying is we want to have what you have also in other words yeah. most people think yeah. that like a lot of a lot of white people when they hear white privilege white privilege they think you want to make my life more difficult that's not it at all they want to take that away from you and say yeah. oh well you don't get privilege it's like no no yeah. no yeah so in video games there's this concept of nerfing a character and buffing a character for online video games right so nerfing a character is making them worse is removing yeah. stats is lo- or lowering stats like attack or defense us- or- usually for multiplayer games where yeah. you have like one particular character that plays well for the type of game. So um, I remember in um, oh, what's the one that uh, Blizzard did um, Overwatch. World of War. I remember for okay. Overwatch there were a couple characters, um, but the big shield guy was was the big one. I can't remember his name now. Uh, but there was a there was this one oh, character, yeah. Man. He's got a like, big armored character. He had this huge shield, and I remember um, people saying the game wasn't fun because basically people would just do these defensive runs where they would just take this super buffed up character. They would do like five of them, and then nobody could hit them, and they would just pick guys off one by one. Um, and so what they did was they just basically made it where it's a lot harder to play defense. So they 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 nerfed that character so that you could do well. I remember in FIFA yeah. as well. FIFA did this for um, the chipped through balls. I remember like if you did yeah. a chipped through ball in some of the earlier games, like 15, 16, um, I mean, it was like a guaranteed goal. Like if you had a decent character with speed, you could just kind of do this yeah. one move. And so what they ended up doing was they made the defenders recognize that move faster. So they they nerfed that particular pass so that the game was harder to win. Yep. So the, the big idea behind uh, nerfing and then buffing is making a stat is making stats better. Obviously. Um, League of Legends does this all the time. Oh yeah. All the time. Uh, Like once every two weeks, basically they change something and once a month they do major changes. Well, so the idea behind nerfing and buffing that, that players talk about a lot is they, they complain about nerfing, because they their argument is that um, the correct way to balance a game is not to make the strong characters weak, 
it's to make the weak characters yep. strong. Yep, yep, That's yep. The, so they complain when the devs just make stronger characters weak. And most people, I, I would say most people who have a problem with white privilege think that, or, or, or think that they are um, being nerfed in order to, to find equality. And that's not it at all. Yeah. The idea behind, behind kind of white privilege being becoming everyone's privilege um, is, is this idea that we are elevating others to be equal, you know, on equal ground with us rather than lowering our, you know, rather yeah. than making things worse for anyone. The idea for white, like everyone should be assumed innocence before proving guilty, right? The, this is a thing in America. And for an entire group of people, for multiple groups of people, that's not the case, yeah. unfortunately. And it should yep. be. That's what we're saying. We're not saying we want to assume you're guilty. We're saying we want to assume they're innocent. So one of our professors at Southern just absolutely nailed this. He, he tells a story about, and he's white. Um, he, t- he tells a story about walking um, in the middle of the night in a winter evening in Toronto, in Canada. And he says that there was a police cruiser came by. I roll down his windows. It goes, what are you doing? He said, oh, I was at basketball or something and I'm, I'm walking home. And the police cruiser said, it's a cold night. Why don't you hop in? We'll drive you to your house. And he says, white privilege is the fact that I'm not saying that it's bad that the police officers did that for me. I'm saying that a black person would not have been given that same deferential treatment. Yes. And he goes, the difference... What I'm saying is not that I should not have been treated that way. You want your police officers and most, you know, that's what they will do. They will do that type of thing. They're, they're genuinely there to help the community. Um, he goes, the difference is I believe as a person that black, my, my, my uh, persons of color, my friends who are persons of color should get that same treatment. They yeah. should be understood and treated that same way. Not that I shouldn't get treated that way. Everyone should get treated that way. And yeah. that's something that I, I just absolutely nails it. And, you know, this is, to me is why you need Black History Month so, so much so. Um, because, you know, I was, I was reading on Twitter the other day. Um, the, the, the incident, um, do you know about the TikTok dance, the Renegade dance? Yes, it's unfortunately. Renegade. Yes, it's called Renegade. So, so it's this Renegade dance. And basically what happened is this black girl, her name is Jaliah. J-A-L-A-I-A-H. Awesome name. So Jaliah um, started this up on TikTok. It was uh, taken and copied by a bunch of different girls. And this one particular white girl, Jaliah is black, uh, took it and got famous for it, was invited you know, to do like a halftime show and a bunch of different stuff. And everyone kind of went nuts because they're like, this is, again, this is content created by a black person. Um, and everyone's like, well, what's the big deal? It's, you know, it's not the big deal. Um, you know, it's just a dance. It's, you know, she wasn't mm-hmm. making money off of it or whatever. It's like, it's a big deal because in three years, I believe it's 1953, uh, a black woman wrote and performed Hound Dog. But three years later, Elvis performs it. And all of a sudden, becomes a star and this other lady doesn't get famous. I don't even know her name. I should, I should totally know her name. I knew this episode was coming. I I should have looked it up, but that's the whole point. Everybody knows Elvis, but he got famous off of the work of black people and did not acknowledge them. And that's the point is that it's still happening. Yeah. It's still happening. So black content is being, is being taken with that. So that's why we need a month where we celebrate what it is to be black. You know, on that note, um, we're going to pivot, but it's relevant, I promise. Um, we're going to pivot to talking about racism within the church. Uh, part of this is within our own denomination, but also uh, something that we've, you know, seen and observed in, in greater, in, in larger Christian circles. Um, but within Adventism specifically, the presence of regional conferences, there's a lot of people that say if we did away with them, we would have, basically, we would assume we have no more racism, right? Like people in other, Adventists in other countries who've never heard of regional conferences when they learn about them, they say, wow, we don't have those here. We're so much better. And I would actually disagree strongly with that term, with with, with that, with that idea, Uh, mainly because what, what, what regional conferences did was ensure that black people were actually represented properly. And in, in the matters of church governance, right. And, and, and church process. And yes, 
And well, we have a whole episode. Yep. Talking about that, but yeah. Episode 100 with Evan Wills. If you want this full, that full conversation. Yeah. Um, but the idea just that if we just did away with them, we would suddenly have no more racism um, is completely related to, to multiple of the, the yeah. misconceptions we just, we just talked about. But, but the, the importance of regional conferences and why I think it's still a good thing in the same vein as black history month being a good thing is because regional conferences to me are a prophetic presence, right? So the role of a prophet in scripture was not necessarily to predict the future, but to warn you that what you're doing is wrong. And what I love about regional conferences is they are, they, they also serve as a reality check yeah, for us. And it's the canary yeah. in the mine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This isn't safe. And yeah. Yep. And that's my thing. Anyone who submit, who suggests that, that we should do away with regional conferences, I think has to have a way, has to have a, a solid method for black people to still have a voice in the church because ultimately removing regional conferences removes agency as yeah. a result. Yeah. So that, yeah, if, if there's no compensation on the back end. Well, you know, and, and this idea of talking about how, oh, well, other churches, you know, there's so much better. James Baldwin quoting Malcolm X. He has this famous interview where he goes, uh, you know, the most racist hour on the church is, you know, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. Mm, yep. Um, and he goes, I don't know if all the church are racist, but all I know is there are white, there's white Christianity and there's black Christianity. Um, and, you know, James Baldwin is a famous TV interview. You can Google it. He's answering um, this philosopher, philosopher, um, he's answering this white philosopher who's basically saying like, oh, well, you know, everything's okay now. This is, this is in the, I think, 50s or 60s where it's like, well, it's okay now. You know, we've gone away from that. We're, we're better as a people. We're, you know, racism's kind of over with kind of that same thing he's talking about. He's like, you're asking me to, okay, I don't know. All, I'm, I'm not judging you based on your beliefs. I'm judging you based on your actions. And it's that same thing where Christianity has absolutely, in, in America, has absolutely not gotten to the point where racism is gone. Yep. Um, and, and all we have to do is look at issues like relevant to, you know, to, yeah. to, to realize, oh no, it's still there. The underlying issues that prevent um, the Christian church from fully coming together. Now that's not to say things like passion where, you know, people of all colors come together, passion conference, or um, we recently in the, in the church, we had um, a couple of different conferences and, and, you know, in the Adventist church where every, you know, people of different colors and genders and backgrounds and, and orientations come together, um, feel welcomed and are able to worship. That's not to say that don't exist, but it's not to say that, okay, yeah, but when they go back into the real world, it might be better, but it's not over with yet. And, mm. and, a big a big issue that I see is that when we talk about this diversity, right? Well, we talk about Passion Conference, right? And not necessarily Passion Conference, but this idea, oh, well, it's so diverse. A lot of times that's just used as a smokescreen, mm. in my opinion. Um, yep. It's, it's still white European-based styles mm -hmm. masquerading. Oh, well, the black guy's singing it. Okay, yeah, well, but that's, that's not... A black song. Yes, exactly. It's not like it. It's not. It's not even from their culture. It's not celebrating their culture. Yeah. Um. And that. That's. That's what's like. How great is our God? Would be. I. I, I think more readily accepted in a black church than most gospel music would be in a white church. I mean, Chad sang it at the Grammys. Yep. So like, yeah. There's not. Yeah. It. We still reject, and not only reject. Um. Many Christians and many Adventists specifically too will outright demonize, yeah. will oh, outright yeah. demonize the worship music of, of black culture or minority cultures in general, um, outright demonize it, say it's yeah. evil, say it's of the devil, um, because of the drums or because of the beat or because of whatever. Um, and don't even get me started on syncopation. The, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> 
The one of the most embarrassing facets of Adventism oh, is, is around the word syncopation. You know what's fun is the guy from I know what interview you're talking about, and I know what Twitter thread you're talking about, and yep. that specific guy was literally called an idiot by my professor of of music and worship here at Andrews. That was one of that was one of my high highlights of Andrews. He's like oh, that this was guy's probably, an idiot. Yeah. And they showed. An, another interview. He showed that interview, and then he showed another one where he's singing a syncopated song. And he's like, "Hear how he's not singing it on the beat? That's called syncopation." <laughs> Here's, and then he put up his light. Here's the sheet music for that. Oh my word! Oh, so great. Yeah. So, but I agree. It's it's usually white worship styles masquerading as multicultural. Yeah, and anytime we absolutely. do multicultural worship. It's like it is how great is our God and and done, but maybe maybe we do it with a little bit more energy this time. That's about all we. That's that's usually what happens, and it, you know, it at, is despicable. Yeah, at Andrews for Black History Month, we we've been having um, predominantly black styles for our our required chapels, and um, I guess I'll just be fully transparent on here. I do not agree with required worships or required chapels, um, particularly for graduate students at the seminary. Um, I have major philosophical issues with it. I have major theological issues with it. I don't like them. I don't like going to them. And I have I major logistical issues with it. Scheduling uh, issues my, with it. Even, even, yeah, yeah. But even then it's like, all right, it's, it's an hour. Like it's not that much of a part of my day, but it's more the idea of you're, you're forcing us to worship. Do you understand this? Do you understand that you are yep. forcing us to worship? Um, you're holding our education hostage if we don't worship. Now I understand that they value it and they, and they require us to do a bunch of things. I just have a philosophical issue with that. So I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I just kind of go in like, okay, whatever. I'm going to try to get what I can out of this. What's insane to me is this the last couple of times the music has been so good. It's been really hard for me not to enjoy myself. <laughs> um, and, and it's just been so filled with energy and life. And I've, you know, I've said for years and I'm not kidding Four years. One of, one of the things that I want to do before I die. And I have asked God for this is I want to preach at a black church because it is a completely different experience. It is so engaging and so alive. Yeah. I have um, done it. And it actually like, it threw me off. It's like I scary. had to, I had yeah. to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to, to like to adjust, and it was, it was wild because people actively responding to things that I said, like, actually distracted me. Like I wasn't yeah. used to it. Yeah. Um, you, wait, wait, what? Hold on. And it was great. Like it, you know that you're what you're saying is is hitting yeah. people. No, um, for sure. Either good or bad. Yeah. I'll, now, I'll take either way. On, but th- and this is the type of thing where they're taking the intentional time to sing black songs they're not singing white songs that have been blackenized i don't even know if that's a word they are singing black songs and that is it's just i love it i love it now whether or not that's my cup of tea is a different story but the fact that they are up there singing black songs to me i go this is an understanding of what diversity is Mm -hmm. um that to me they're not forcing them to say and one hymn you got to do this and one they're like go do it. Whatever t- preacher, you know, is yelling at us for 30 minutes. Awesome. They're preaching black style. Who cares? That to me is understanding diversity. A lot of times when we, like you were saying, when we do diverse, we take songs and we, you know, we, we, we either dumb it down or we don't understand it or we, we make it this unique special thing instead of saying, no, this is a celebration. Yeah. We try to, we try to like, I, I don't know, fetishize it in a way. Well, and, Here's the bottom line. Many institutions brag about how diverse they are uh, and they say, yeah, we're so diverse. We have this percent of this or this percent of that. And, um, but they do so little to actually serve or celebrate their, their population, uh, their minority populations. So uh, basically what they're saying, they're flying this, we're not racist flag while doing nothing to actually honor, make them feel welcome, make those, those make any minority individuals feel, um, Feel yeah. at home and like they're actually like they actually yeah. belong there and so diversity becomes a badge rather a badge of you know honor or whatever but really anyone who seems to brag about their diversity now makes me like yeah makes me makes me second guess now there are some institutions that do so and they do it well um i would actually argue that uh, Southern, the institution that I work for, has gotten a lot better about this in recent years. I'm hold on. I'm not saying that we do it perfectly, um, but we have gotten better about yeah. it. Um, they still need to. They still need to hire the VP for 
diverse, but that's another story. Correct. Yes, correct. Yeah, that's a, they, yeah. they have gotten a lot better. Compared yeah. to where they were at the 50s and 60s. Well, even compared to, to even compared to well, a 90s. decade ago or yeah. even five years ago, things are, I think, I believe in, from what I have seen and how I've talked with students, I do believe yep. things are better. That does not mean they're, they're suddenly good or suddenly it's, great or suddenly amazing. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's stepping stones, it's right? It's a journey. Mm-hmm. It's a journey. Exactly. But it is one of the most despicable things to claim diversity and do nothing to actually serve your population. Well, uh, one of the things I loved was going to Asian, I Latin, and this is something that is, is celebrated. I can say that at least when I went, when I attended, it was celebrated. It was so huge. Like Asian American, I was so crazy. Um, <laughs> there were Asian students that were visiting from other universities that are, that have a much higher Asian population or a, 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 a Asian, not membership, uh, uh, enrollment. Um, and they were saying, like, can can we come back next year when they do this? Like, their own school didn't do anything for that. And it's not mm-hmm. to knock their schools, but it's like, it was celebrated and it was appreciated from the Latin community. Now, that's not, like I said, it's a stepping stone, but that's something that it was appreciated. Yeah. Well, and and so... I think I think that's how there's some things that are that are within church that I've noticed. Um, but I, you know, I do think here's there's one more thing I want to talk about, and that's equity versus equality, and what what the difference between the two are, and why equity and equality are both important. Um, there's actually an amazing. I love the illustration. It's a what like a one one panel comic web comic of uh, maybe it was a newspaper thing. I don't know, but the idea of equality. They basically demonstrate, it was a two panel comic. I'm sorry. So the idea was these three individuals were trying to look over the fence, look over a fence to watch a ball game. And, um, the, it was the individual, the three individuals were ordered left to right, shortest to tallest. So for equality, all three individuals were standing on one box that was the same height, which meant that the tall person could see over the second person could see over, but the short person couldn't. And then the bottom panel showed equity and it was the tall person didn't even need, didn't really even need a box, but I think they had one box under them. Yeah. The middle person had two boxes and the short person had three boxes so that they could see over Over, the fence. That's the equity is about equal opportunity and making sure that things are put in place to ensure that everyone can see the ball game. Right. That everyone can enjoy something. It doesn't mean that, that white people don't get enough or that white people suddenly get less. It's not necessarily about less because if, if, if we're understanding the idea of privilege, it means that nothing would change for, for a white person, but that everything would change positively for a black person and their family right. and their friends. Like right. that's, that's the idea. Um, and, and you know, I mean, you can see this in a lot of different areas, but for instance, when we talk about um, fair housing, situation. We're not asking that people of color get better houses than anyone else, but we're saying if they have the same amount of money, they should be able to buy the same house. That's Mm -hmm. it. That's all it is. They should be able to buy a house and be able to live where they want. Um, Doesn't mean that they, you know, have to, you know, it doesn't mean that they get to pay less or that they have a better or, or they automatically get a higher. That's the thing that I think people don't realize is like, oh, well, you know, this, that all these, these laws, it means that they, they get in just cause they're black. No, 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 no. It means that they have to work hard enough and there's a spot reserved for a black person or a Latinx person or an Asian American person who has worked hard enough. Like imagine, imagine being in a position where you have to argue that your population's lives actually matter. And that has to become your entire platform. Like it's just telling people that, Hey, our lives matter. I would love to do this, but as aliens in another universe, I'd love to, to make a movie about that. Mm. You know what I mean? Where it's like human lives matter. Yeah. Um, because we're not the dominant species, you know, raptors were, are the apex predator. And we have to explain to them, like, you know, humans are getting pulled over, you know, we don't have talons. So, you know, the fact that we get, you know, scratched or whatever, like mm-hmm. it's hard for us to operate vehicles. You know what I mean? That type of thing where yeah. it's like, it, it's ridiculous when you actually break it down. When you make it 
velociraptors versus humans, it, it sounds ridiculous, but it's like, yeah, we do that to people who look exactly like us. Yep. So there are two illustrations that I love for this. Uh, one is a story I read online. I have no idea how to find it anymore, but I actually use it in small groups with, with high school students now. Um, it was the idea of everyone who, the, the teacher would stand at the front of the classroom and everyone would be given a ball and if they could throw it and make it into the trash can that the teacher was holding at the front of the room, then they would uh, get extra credit or something like that. They, they would have something positive happen to them in class. Right, yeah. And quickly everyone realized that the students in the sitting in the back did not have the equal opportunity as the students sitting in the front closer to the trash can. I do that with small groups sitting in a circle where I have the, the trash can. The people right next to me can just reach and drop it in. Whereas someone sitting across the circle from me has to throw it in, right? And... That is a great example of it. The other one is a video, is a YouTube video from a, from a few years ago. I'll see if I can find it, but it looks like it's a PE instructor or something in a field. And he's got a whole bunch of people lined up to run a race. They're going to run like a hundred or 50 meters or whatever it is. They're just going to run this race. But then he says, all right, take, he, he says, we're, we're going to run this race. However, we're going to, we're going to do something yeah, here. And he says, people back up. And- yeah. So he says, take a step forward. If you had the, had uh, both of your parents in your home, take a step forward. If you had, um, if you always had food and water in your house, take a step forward. If you're, um, if you had access to education or never, you know, never went hungry at school, uh, yeah. things like that. Right. And what if I went up, to a private school versus a public school. Yeah. Yeah. There was all these different things that he said. I'll see if I can link it in the description. If it's not there, it means I couldn't find it. Sorry. Um, but the, yeah, the entire idea was by the time he was done and he said, go, there was some people that were literally two steps away while there were some people all the way still back at the starting line or even behind it. That's, that's not okay. The idea is that everyone would start off from the same place and have access to the same things. And, it, and again, that doesn't mean what we're saying isn't that the person who's two steps away gets moved to the back of the starting line. It means those who are at the starting line get help coming closer. That's yeah. all that means. I don't think it's about removing privilege, but rather no. making it everybody privilege instead of just white privilege. You know, and it, it cracks me up because there's that idea that like, oh, well, if we do this, it'll, you know, I, what about me? What about me? What, it, you're still going to, you're still two steps away. Yeah. Just because other people are two steps away. You know, this idea that it's a, a zero sum game mm-hmm. that only one person can win it. No, there are mangoes enough for everybody. Well, one of my favorite things is when a white person says, you know, racism isn't a thing. It doesn't exist. The systemic racism especially doesn't exist. Um, and then they complain about um, minorities in, through birth rate and through population growth are going to outnumber white people in X amount of years. And they complain because they don't want to become a minority. And it's like, huh, I wonder what's so bad about being a minority that you wouldn't want to become one. Oh, it absolutely cracks me up. Like, like, it, uh, it's like, the, like in a sad, tragic way. It is the most ridiculous thing. And I can only laugh because of how frustrating it is. What, what's interesting to me is the people who fight immigration the hardest, and we just talked about immigration, but the people who fight immigration the hardest of, oh, well, they're going to take our jobs, they're going to do all this, and they're going to blah, 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 are the same people that have that same thing. Well, oh, pfft, black people, they just, just they're complaining about whatever. It's like, okay, well, then why, if it's so great for them, are you scared about immigrants coming over? Hmm. Yep. If if everything's totally fine, then okay, become the minority for a while and see how that works. That's, but you, they yeah. know it is like by deep definition. Down, deep down, they are. And, deep, and yes. Look, I get. Look, I I I a hundred percent buy into Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, especially for people who aren't. And this is going to sound very harsh, but people who don't really understand Christianity. They might go to church and claim it, but they don't really understand what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you don't know what that is, basically it's it's we all have like certain levels that we need filled before we can become like safe and happy person. And the first one is security. Then there's shelter. Uh, then there is, uh, I think it's food and then love and then purpose. And then eventually we can get to the point where we become completely selfless. But if you don't have any of the bottom ones, you can't reach the top. Mm-hmm. And so I get that 
the fear of removing security causes you to not think about others. I understand that instinct. But what cracks me up is you have Christians who believe that God is the God who provides, who will see your needs, who who are explicitly told to take care of others. And don't worry, I will take care of you. Then say these arguments and go like, oh, well, you know, what will my family do if this happens? And it's like, well, okay. Do you trust that God is going to take care of you or not? Yeah. Like, is your faith actually real or not? Now that only happens in the Christian sector. um, But, you know, it's even ridiculous in, in, in a not in a completely atheistic or a religious sector. Um, it's just, it's the logic is, is baffling. Yeah. The, um, the cognitive dissonance is, it, yeah, is, it, yeah. is actually impressive. Like, and it's, it's why these conversations need to happen because it's, it's, it's not even talking out of both sides of your mouth. It's talking out of your, the whole mouth at the same time. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I, that I wish people would understand, especially white people would understand, uh, something that happens a lot online is that white, a white person will try and enter a Twitter conversation or a Facebook thread about racism and they'll immediately be told you don't belong here. Get out. Um, and then they get offended and they're like, well, how am I, how am I supposed to learn or engage if you won't literally, if you've told me I can't because of the color of my skin, because I'm a white person. And one thing that I really wish white people would understand about those, those conversations is a, we are by definition coming in on the back foot of those because we, and we haven't experienced the thing that they're talking about personally in most cases. But the other half of it is un- we need to understand that when they're at the point that they're talking about it in such a public manner, it is because it's coming from such a place of pain and frustration and anger that this is a time for, this is that a time for a lot of them to engage in community and maybe feel less alone that they're not the only ones going through something and giving them the opportunity to vent that anger and frustration. And yes, that may come out in ways that you don't agree with or ways that you don't like, but that doesn't mean they don't have the right to do it. And I wish we would be a little bit more patient when entering those conversations, a little bit more humble in entering those conversations so that we can enter them from the place of being willing to listen and understand versus just getting frustrated because we've encountered a wall that is there for literal self-preservation and protection from their end because they have been burned by eight chihuahuas and they're worried about the other two, right? Like that's the idea there. So I, th- I, that's why these conversations, these conversations are important because we need to both witness them, observe them, but also engage in them in ways that are healthy. And I hope that we've done so on this episode. Um, and- I love that we've made a chihuahua scale. We have to use a Chihuahua scale now. Yeah, no, I like the Chihuahua scale. That's uh, going to make is, a return. This is a six on the Chihuahua scale. Okay, <laughs> this is a consistent six. <laughs> I agree with this so much. What you should walk away from this episode is that I hate Chihuahuas. If you have one, God bless you. They are a yippy creature that is a direct result of sin existing on the earth. <laughs> Accurate. Um, so let's end this conversation this way. What are some practical steps white people can take in order to educate themselves and do more work, more positive work for equality or for equality and equity? Um, the first one is the one I just said, and when entering conversations that that um, that are predominantly yeah. Yeah. being had by black people online tread, tread or in lightly. person, tread lightly. Yeah. Um, the other thing is like one thing that Andre Henry, when I asked him this, you know, part of this question, yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing that he said was. Google books about the black experience and about racism in America. Like if you're wondering what books you read, just go, just literally search for them. There's a ton. If you're an seventh day Adventist protest in progress by Calvin rock, have fun. Yeah. That's a great one. Um, I mean, just a genius. of We have a responsibility regardless of who it is, right? This is no longer the statement I'm making is no longer necessarily about racism though. I it's within the context of racism here we have a responsibility to educate ourselves about the experiences of those around us period. We have a responsibility and an obligation. If we call ourselves Christians to educate ourselves, to understand and to seek to understand in order that we can actually love our neighbors period. There's no way around it. You cannot love someone if you, if you don't know anything about them or if you have the wrong impression of who they are, you love someone by getting to know them 
by learning to understand them and what makes you know their quirks, their ins and outs, and by appreciating them and celebrating them, not dismissing their experiences, not dismissing their feelings, not dismissing their perspectives, but rather engaging with them in humility and seeking to understand. So that's what I would add there. Any, uh, anything else that are you, are those kind of good starting places? Those are good starting places. I, you know, the biggest thing to me is just first work on, make, make sure that you are read up on the situation similar to what you're talking about. But for instance, read on Twitter today, another thing. Someone was like, Oh, uh, a black hairstyle. Um, you know, it, I can't remember the exact name of the hairstyle. Um, I think it's it's finger waves, I believe is what it's called. Um, it's the Betty Boop hairstyle, right? Yeah. And so someone on, a, a white lady was like, oh, well, the Betty Boop hairstyle um, is is based on Betty Boop. Like that's, it's it's stolen. It's appropriated. Okay. Uh, Betty Boop is based on a black woman. So you're getting righteously offended about something that was appropriated like like you're 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 taking the wrong hill. yep and that's the type of thing that i'm talking about is is, is get yourself educated mm-hmm. um i think i find the big the biggest deterrence against prejudice and and fear is knowledge um if i know you i am no longer scared of you mm-hmm. because i understand yeah, we talk about this on the road I, i'm not interested in good drivers on the roads that I drive. I just want predictable drivers. You can drive like a maniac, but let me know you're going to swerve every Mm. three miles. If I know you're going to swerve every three miles, I can anticipate it. I can predict it. Be predictable. Same thing that by getting to know people, um, and I don't just mean like, Oh, go to a, you know, everyone should go to a black barbecue. Everyone should go to a black barbecue, by the way, they're fantastic. The food is amazing. Um, Go to a black barbecue, you know, but, but it's not just that. It's also a matter of educating yourself. Um, yep. That's one of the biggest ways you can start. And then also don't be afraid to get hurt. You know, don't be afraid to yeah. sacrifice. Um, if a better world for everybody else means mine gets marginally, marginally, marginally more difficult. I'm not saying give everything. Jesus is not me. Um, it's marginally more difficult than, yeah. Yep. Okay. If we all help bear the load, we can make it easier on everybody else. On that line of be willing to be hurt, I, you know, I think the, the last thing that I would add personally um, is if you are someone who says, I have a black friend, I have a Hispanic friend, I have an Asian friend, or I have a black husband or wife, I have a black um, or I have a Hispanic husband or wife, any, you know, any, I have a, I have a significant other of a different race or a different cultural background or heritage. Um, one of the best things that you can do, if, if you're someone who says that and you say that to, as evidence that you are not racist, one of the best places that you can start is by asking that person if they've ever seen you do anything, observed you do anything racist. I, I've literally just from, <clears throat> My girlfriend happens to be Asian. Uh, just from dating her, she told me about several things that bug her. Now, I wouldn't even say they're microaggressions. She's just, I don't like it when you do that. And it's like, okay, so I'll, so I've stopped doing that. Yep. Um, and and there are little things that I've done my entire life, mm. and she just doesn't like it. And like I said, they're not offensive. It's not like a great. It's not like, hey, don't say the n word. Um, <laughs> it's it's just little tiny things. But it's these little things. She's like, hey, it just makes me uncomfortable. And I'm like then I won't do it. But, but I wouldn't know that unless I gave her that opportunity. Unless I open up with, Hey, yep. is there anything that I do that bugs you? You have a blank, a free, free check, blank check to tell me when something makes you yeah. uncomfortable. You can say like, Hey, can we limit it to three for today? Like, you know, you don't and need to change. Use, yeah. yeah. You don't need to like, you know, intentionally hurt yourself over this, but rather be open to listening and, uh, and accepting what is being said. And that is, that is incredibly important. So I think that is a, the great place to start. And whether or not you are that person that would say, I have a black friend, so I'm not racist, or you just are someone with black friends, that is the first place to start for uh, in, for understanding the ways that racism 
has infected your own behaviors, thoughts, perspectives, whatever, without you even realizing it. Um, and prejudice specifically as well. So um, I think, I, I hope this has been respectful to the conversation. I hope this has been a positive addition overall. So does Tony. Um, I can see it in his eyes. So if there is anything that we got wrong, feel free to reach out and let us know. If there's anything that we can do to improve the way we have this conversation, um, for sure, let us know. All of our contact information, Twitter and email is in the show notes. But thank you guys so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of Black History Month and we will see you next week. 